let's dive into the book of Judges, chapter 3. Chapter 3, book of Judges 7 through 11. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. If you're there, would you all stand as we receive the word? Judges, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Here is the word of God. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishatine, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishatine eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Canaan's, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishatim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishatim, so the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaan, died. Amen. God, we, um, Surely desire word, teach your ways. We humbly open our hearts, humbly um, approach your throne, um, and we desire your truth. So as we uh, obediently, humbly listen to what you have to say, Lord God, I pray that you will bless your people and teach us. God, we thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So up to this point, um, chapter 1, chapter 2, in the book of Judges, what we have seen is uh, just the character of God, the nature of God so far. And we also have seen uh, the dealings, the nature, the character, um, somewhat of um, just the history, national history of Israel, the repeated history. Beginning with God, we have seen uh, really uh, the faithfulness of God. We have seen how faithful God was through and through in keeping his promises, God keeping his promises in spite and despite of uh, Israelites' lack of faith and trust. He was faithful. We have seen his patience. The God is patient God. The God is perse- persevering God. God is long-suffering God. As he endured Israel's evil and disobedient ways. Yet we also have seen his holiness, his righteousness. As he did demonstrate, as he did not tolerate sin in the midst of his people. And we realize in his character, in his nature, he is a jealous God, fiercely jealous God. 
Therefore, we have also seen God as the Father who disciplines His own children out of His love in order to restore the relationship He once had, restore them to the true blessed state. So He disciplines. These are the things that we uh, learned and reminded of God. And then we have seen people, the people of Israel. We have seen them half-hearted, not wholehearted, half-hearted. Half-hearted in their faith, halfway in their obedience. Hope uh, that it will go well and they will compromise uh, God's command, compromise God's uh, uh, words, and they will cherry pick what works, what won't work, what is comfortable, what is convenient. And by compromising God's command, what they also did, what happened to them consequently was they were compromised. They compromised their own blessing, grace, and mercy from God. And as they lived this way, half-heartedly, they began to be loose, very loose with God and loose with God's command. And therefore, God was no longer a priority to them. God was no longer attractive, no longer relevant. God was no longer uh, real to them. But rather, these pagan gods of the land became more real, more attractive. And the phrase that the Bible used was, they chased after them. They bowed down before pagan gods, and they served them, and they ended up doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see, the simple definition, we're going to see uh, in this sermon what that evil in the sight of the Lord really is. but. The simple, very simple definition of evil in the sight of the Lord. What is evil in the eyes of God is simply this. Replacing God with someone or something. That's evil. In, in the sight of God, you replace, you misplace God. And you, uh, you end up worshiping that someone or something in the place of God that is evil in the sight of God. When you do that, when you replace God with something, with someone, when you commit evil against God in his point of view, it's not about your perspective. It's not about your explanation. It's how God perceives it. He sees your heart. And he, as much as he is slow to anger, as much as he gives you and me, a chance after chance, what happens? His anger will be kindled. And in his anger, he confronts his people not to destroy, not to annihilate them. But out of love, out of grace and yearning for them, he confronts them so that they will understand what had happened to them, what they have done with their own decision. So he disciplines them. 
because he loves. He confronts them for misplaced affection to God. He confronts them that when he, they rob him of that loyalty, that trust they should have. Church, when you abandon God, when you misplace God, I mean, you, you don't accidentally misplace something. You intentionally misplace. When you trade God with someone or something, you take him out of that most sacred place in your life and replace it with something that you deem sacred to you. And you end up serving, following, worshiping this something, someone other than God. His anger, anger, fears, jealous anger will be kindled out of love. Again, as slow to anger he is. And as God is known for second chance to all of us, he will, out of love, discipline me, discipline you. And his discipline is all driven by his desire to restore you to blessedness. This morning, what we have, uh, what we just read in chapter 3 is the first judge of Israel. First judge, Othniel. What you will see, as little as we have here in this passage, he will be the gold standard of the judges. And I will tell you, as the society degrades generation after generation, Israel degrades the judges also, the quality drops. They degrade. And oatmeal, as much as we will see, as little as we have, he is the gold standard. But before we go, to, go get into uh, oatmeal, the first judge, I want us to turn to chapter 2, portion we uh, looked into beginning in 11. Chapter 2, 11 through 19. I want us to look at this because this is something that the writer, before he introduces the first judge, this is something that he wrote in order to give us some idea because this is going to be repeated. This cycle will be repeated. Chapter 2, verse 11. And the, Lord, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the, ang the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to pl plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord 
raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. And they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. You see, you got to remember this cycle. He actually introduces this cycle before each judges. Because this is the pattern. This is the cycle that happens. It repeats over and over. So it begins with the blessedness. True rest and peace was upon Israel. God's hand, not against them, but over them, protecting them, providing for them. But then what they do is they take their eyes off from God and they chase after God as they trade God and and just put someone, something, idols and things of the land in the place of God. The strong word was used. NIV will say they prostitute themselves. ESV says they hoard themselves to other gods. And they bow down and serve them. So from blessedness, took their eyes off, compromise would happen, and they will immerse themselves what is defined as evil in the sight of God. And what happens? God gave them over. God sold them. And they will hit the rock bottom. Oppression. Affliction. No matter what they do, the hand of God, from here, over protecting. Here, against God. Against them. And last week, we were reminded, famous verse, Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you flip that, that's the scariest thing, right? If God is against us, who and what can be for us? And that's the state we're there. And this is the cycle. This is a pattern. And as they cry out, as they groan, God, who was in his fierce, jealous anger, The wrath, as soon as they turn, repent, cry out to God. What happens? In his pity, in his mercy, compassion, he would raise a judge. And all during the time of judge, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he, through him, God restores Israel to where? The top of the circle true peace and rest, blessed state. 
But then what does it say? As soon as the judge dies, what begins again? The cycle begins again. As soon as no one is there to remind themselves who God is and how you need to follow and serve and who this God means to us, this true blessedness, your peace and rest is not out of you. It's not what you created. It is given by God when you have no one and no mechanism on your own to remind yourself of that fact. What happens? They will take their eyes off and then the cycle begins again. But here is the most just unfortunate, discouraging thing because the Bible says not only it begins, the Bible says each time this cycle happens, when they turn away from God, each time they were even more corrupt than the previous generation. Think about that. They were even more evil in the eyes of God. The Bible also said they will grow even more stubborn, hard-headed. Because more you do this, harden your hearts, and it takes longer for you in your pain and it takes a lot more pain for you to be here and cry out, reach out to God. As the cycle continues. How sad is this? It's sad. It's scary. It's unfortunate. And if we're honest, that's dumb. I'm a history major. You know, when you read into someone's history or world history, people history, history repeats itself. It, it really repeats itself. You know, most of the mistakes that, that, that you do not want to see ever again happen in your life, guess what you do? You kind of do them again. Because we do not learn from our own mistakes. History repeats, whether it's your personal history or the national or world history history it is dumb it is stupid in nature when you look at them but then what if you and i also have a pattern a cycle that you do go through if we are honest with ourselves do we not go through a similar pattern similar cycle in our lives where we were and how we get to the rock bottom. How we replace God with something, someone. How we chase after things of this world. How we live a life that is irrelevant to God and against God. And you realize you are so far gone away. And you, God in his grace, caught your attention in your distress. Distress. Just affliction. Just like the Israelites, what, we, what do we do? Do you combine worship of God and worship of idol, the things of the world? Do you combine them? Do you ask God to coexist in your heart? God, you're just demanding too much. Why can't you just be one of my options? Why do you have to be, why do you demand to be the one and only, the one true God? 
no one else? Do we ask God to coexist in our hearts? Do you have your own gods according to your own uh, interests, your needs, your ambition because of your comfort, your plan? Do you have certain gods that exist in your heart that is almost equal or if not, greater than God himself? If that is true, this unfortunate and dumb cycle, the fact of the matter is, might be yours, might be mine. And we do run. It's like a little squirrel. You know what I'm talking about? Running through that little thing. How fun it is to watch, but how cruel that is. Think about it, how cruel that is for the squirrel. What if that's what we do? And we don't even know it. And we look at the Israelites and say, you dumb people. You don't learn your lesson, do you? Do we learn from our mistakes? Have we gone through this cycle? Is there an aspect in our lives that we have misplaced God or trade God or we, we have this audacity to ask God to coexist with other things? Folks, this is why we study the book of the Judges. This is why we look into the history of Israel. Why? Because we need to put an end to this cycle, this pattern in your life. Because this is where we want to be, the top of the circle, true blessedness. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. As the Bible introduces the first is, uh, uh, judge of Israel, this is the condition. This is where they were. The people of Israel, this is cycle begins, right? did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What did they have done? They forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherah. So in verse 7 can really help us to see and understand the this evil, the aspect, the nature of this evil in the sight of the Lord. It's twofold. What has happened? So what God deems evil in the sight of God is this. They first, they forget. They forget and they end up serving. They forget about God. Forget about what he says. Forget about what he did for you. And then you go after something else. You serve. You chase. You first forget and then you serve the wrong thing. You serve the wrong God. Now, when I say forget, as we looked into that last Sunday, the Israelites did not forget. When, when it says forget, it's not intellectual. Like, I completely forget. I forgot. That's not it. 
It's not talking about some sort of a knowledge of God, what God has done, who he is, what he stands for, the Israelites for God. That information, the knowledge of God. That's not what it means when it says forget. What it means here is that they no longer live by what they know. They know about God, know about truth, know about what he wants out of his own people, but then they no longer live by them. They don't no longer live by what they know. In other words, although they know God, they they stare at all these altars and historical sites and stories and dance and sings that they are all reminded of who God is and what God has done, right? And what God truly desires for them. What is it, what's happening is they don't care. I'm sorry. They don't care. They know, but they don't care. It's like you, hey, don't lie. As a father to a son, don't lie. But then he lies, then he doesn't care about who I am, first of all, and what I've said. He doesn't care. It's not, oh, I forgot that I cannot lie. I should not lie. It's not about that. I don't care. I don't care to remember what you said. I don't care to remind myself of that. I stopped thinking of you. I tune your words out of my head. So therefore, it has no effect. In my life. So it's like forgetting about God in today's language, they would cancel God. <laughs> That's it. They, they canceled God. I don't need you. I feel like I don't need you. So what do I do? I remove you. I don't need you. Who makes that call? Well, it's my life. They forgot. They forget first. That's the first thing. First thing that occurs when you do evil in the sight of God. Because when you think about it, it's also our problem. Do we not know the cross? We don't have a cross, sorry. It's a habit. All the churches that I preached on have a cross. But we have a bunch of cross there. Do we not know what the cross stands for? We sing all the time. You pour your life to us. Your body broken. You die horrible death when you were sinless. Why do we sing that? Repeat that over and over. We know this. We have no problem reciting Lord's Prayer. No problem even explaining the gospel and evangelize. We have no problem who God is. We know what God has done to Israelites in the Old Testament. And we know God, what God has done in the New Testament through Jesus and the Spirit who lives. We, we know. In other words, we know. But what we know in our head may not be relevant enough. Think about that. It's not relevant enough. It's not real enough, it's not powerful enough, it's not worth enough 
to the point that our hearts would react. Our hearts would move to trust and obey God. Our hearts would decide to live by what we know up here. That's the problem with this pattern. You can listen to all the sermons in the world. You can read all the Christian books you want. You can read this book, the Bible, cover to cover. But if it remains here, and that has no effect, no bearing to who you are and what you do, you have danger of forgetting God. It means nothing because it doesn't move you. It doesn't affect you. It means nothing in your decision. Who you love, who you follow, who you worship, who you live for. We can forget about God just like the Israelites. And because God was not real for them, not substantial for them, not attractive for them, not relevant for them, in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds, they continue to need a judge to remind them. Right? Because during the lifetime of the judges, they will stay true. Because the judge will keep reminding them. Why? Because otherwise they forget. This is the same reason why we remind ourselves. This is why we create word, uh, Christian word. I know a retreat is coming up, so we use this a lot. Let, let us recommit. Let us rededicate. Let us uh, renew our vows, promises to God. You know what? I, I, I'll be honest. I used that word before. Those words, I used it before. But that word insinuates what you made, the vow, the promise, was phony. Ingenuine. Not true. And that hurts. That hurts. If you think about it, it hurts. And imagine how hurtful that is to Look at this. They forgot. They forgot. It's not intellectual, informational thing. They forgot. And therefore, their heart doesn't move. And just heart would just chase after whatever they see. Uh, seems right. Seems relevant. Seems attractive. Now, only way to stop this. After they forget God, they chase after, they hoard themselves, which is a strong word. They sell themselves. There is no loyalty. There is no purity. There is no holiness. They sell themselves to whomever, to the highest bidder. They hoard themselves. That's what that means. They served after these things. 
The only way for us to stop this pattern, only way for us to not do evil in the sight of God is to do the opposite, which begins with forgetting. What's the opposite of forgetting? Yeah, remembering. I've been saying this, right? What's the opposite? And it's, it's really simple. You know why the church gathers? Why there is Bible studies? Why we would encourage you to read Bible and pray? Why we would even plan revivals and retreat? You know why? So that you won't forget. You won't forget how much you need God, how much you need to depend on God. You won't forget how much He is just how immensely and unimaginably greater than anything that you will possibly weigh with Him. You got to remind yourself how fiercely, jealously He loves. And how He loves you each and every day. You got to remind yourself there is no deed that you do, no sin that you do that will prevent you forever that God's grace will never cover you and forgive you. You got to be reminded of that. You got to remember what Jesus has done. And you got to love Him for His love that He showers upon you each and every day. You know, we sing new songs. We, we want to do new Bible studies. And we want, we kind of, you know, we wait for new iPhones. New, new what, uh, Samsung's what? What, Galaxy? Right? We kind of cherish that. We kind of look forward to that. We want new technology. We want new items. We want new songs. As much as, you know, people like Taylor Swift's, you know, old hit. You know, when she makes a new single Bam, you know? I heard what she has like what plus ten songs currently in Billboard Top two hundred. No one else did that, I heard. Like a close to twenty songs, don't quote me, but something very up there. Why? Because we cherish something new. As much as we love old classics. Yet Christianity does not work that way. Christianity is not about learning something new, discovering something new. You would learn something new about yourselves. But God remains the same. God never changes. Cross doesn't move. It remains still. It's the rock. It's the foundation. But what Christianity is all about is remembering. It's all about reminding. My job is very simple. I say the same thing like an old man. Repeat over and over what this book teaches. That's my job. I may need some wisdom uh, and, and creativity in order to make that connection with you. But I do not change the message. I can't. I won't. Because it's, I am in the business of reminding you. Because that's how you stop doing evil in the sight of God. If you remember, this is why I'm big on when did you meet God? 
When did you, when did you like, fell on your knees? When, when did you wholeheartedly repent and cry out to God that I'm a sinner? I need you. I'm big on that day, not because that will forever save you and that will forever shield you from everything. But going back to that moment, that love. <laughs> you know, when you're single, you meet a married couple, you know what you ask? How's you guys to meet? How's you guys meet? How would you know? And as you say, and as you remind, as a couple, of that story or how you came to know, you know what that does to a marriage? It strengthens it. It, it, it solidifies that marriage. It, it brings you back to that moment. It reminds you of the vow. You know, this is why... As a church, as a as Christian, when we gather, the Lord Himself commanded us to do the same thing over and over. Communion. Baptism. The same thing. But we do it over and over as we remind ourselves His broken body shed blood. As we remind ourselves someone died and coming back to life. Oh, that's what happened to me. That's who I am. The old is gone. New has come. I'm a new creation. Born again in Jesus Christ. Don't forget. Don't let yourself forget. That's the first step to many other things that you do not want to experience. Verse 8. His anger kindled, and then the Lord sold them into the hand of the oppressors. And then they suffered greatly for eight years. Eight years. By the way, again, I will mention it, but it, this is eight years. I'll, I'll point it out to you. Each cycle, it took them eight years to cry out to God, right? That's why it was eight years, because the time, the bottom of the cycle to the judge's arrival took them eight years, right? Now, every cycle, it gets longer. 20 years, 40 years. Why? They get stubborn. They get hardened. They don't even cry out. But verse 9, the key word out of this verse is the first word that you see. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer <clears throat> for the people of Israel. I love this word, but. Ephesians 2, 4, but God. Here once again, but God. When the people were crying out to the Lord, but God raised up for them a deliverer. And it shows how dramatic and how quickly things change. I remind you, mind you here, guys. He was under fierce, jealous wrath. His hand away against them. And then, but the moment he turned, God, I am sorry. Not because they're, they're physical pain. I'm sorry. I realize what we have done. From deep within, with a contrite 
hard. You know, when you hear, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. There's difference. You can tell from the person who apologized to you, you know where it is coming from. This, when they cry out to God, when they repent to God, this was not just on the surface. It was deep within. It was from spiritual. It's from heart. As they remember God, they cry out. They sinned against God. They've done evil. But look how quickly God turns. Fears anger. And then they cry, groan, out of pity change. This is how God works, folks. This is how God operates. How loving, merciful God he is. And he sends his judge. Now, let's talk about oatmeal because there's nothing to talk about. Not much, I should say. The description we have here is not much. He's a brother, younger brother of Caleb. Caleb who is almost par equal to Joshua's faith and trust and obedience. One of the reasons I named my son Caleb. And that's who he was. When Caleb asked in chapter 1, who's going to take on this castle, which eventually becomes Hebron? Who? Caleb rises. I will go. And he goes and then takes it. He learned after his big brother, undoubtedly, that faith, that trust in God's word, that obedience. Without hesitation, without fear, he goes with courage. Now, the story of this redemption is really nothing fancy about it. Quick and easy. Very decisive. The Lord chose Othniel. And the Spirit of the Lord, which is going to be the common phrase that you will see in the book of Judges that, uh, that is associated with every judge. Ha- the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel. And he becomes the judge. And he goes to war. And the Lord already gives him the enemy. And he overpowers him. And he prevails. And the land finds peace and rest for next 40 years until he dies. That's it. And I'll explain in coming weeks why he is the gold standard, as simple as it is. Now, the rest, peace, restore, there's no more attack, no more oppression. I want to remind you, this is exactly what God desires to give. Remember that pattern? What God desires to you, for you to remain, is not bottom of the cycle. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here. What God desires is up on the top with him, his hand over him, protecting and secure and providing that peace and rest. That's what God desires. Because exactly at the moment, and they groan, they cry out to God, God restores. That's what God prefers to give. He doesn't prefer to 
be angry and discipline and punish and bring this wrath upon you. But if he must, he, he will. But what he prefers is not to hand you over, not to sell you, but keep you. Not against you, but for you. This is what God desires for you. Not war, no battle, no oppression. As long as they what? Do what? Remember and serve the Lord. This extends. This peace and rest continues. Guys, the message is not new. Here goes Pastor Jason saying the same thing. It is the same thing. How do you become a master of something? You do the same thing over and over. And I talk about this guy, Jiro, right? The sushi master. 20 some odd years. Over and over. Same routine from early morning to late afternoon. Over and over. And he becomes a master of his own craft. What's your craft? What your identity? What are we about? What should we be doing over and over as we remind ourselves? Don't forget. Don't forget. That's the first step. Don't let yourself forget who God is to you, what God has done. And remember. And then let that truth of God and of you Grab hold of your heart and move you and need you. Let that control your heart. Remember the cross. Remember his love. Remember where you would be. Even imagine where you will be without him. And let that be the reason and motivation for you to remain on, on top. His blessedness. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the time, for your word. God, would you teach us and humble us each and every day? Will you remind us as we read your word, as we pray, as we gather together as a church, as brothers and sisters, will you remind us as we drive? Will you remind us as we interact with our co-workers and friends and family members? Will you remind us of who you are, what you have done, what you already accomplished for us? Will you remind us where we're going? Will you remind us each and every day this fierce love that you have for us, how you love us? And as you remind us and as we remind ourselves as we remind one another oh God I pray that we'll learn to serve you we'll learn to boast about you we'll learn to depend on you learn to follow you serve you all the days of our lives and at the end of the journey we cry out and we testify 
my cup overflows with your blessing. It begins with remembering each and every day. God, awake us from within. Let your spirit just minister to our hearts. That God, you become real and relevant. That we will run after. Pray that you would once again bless your people. Next Sunday we'll be at the different location. We'll be at the retreat. We, as a church, we pray for your blessing during that time. Let that be a great time of reminder who God is, what you desire in your people. Let it be a blessed time. God, we pray that you will uh, continue to walk with us, walk before us, carry us through. May your hand upon us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.